Well, for Wales, he comes up. Uh, Charles is going to come and bring us our reading from Matthew chapter 17, starting at verse 14. So the reading can be found on page 984, beginning at verse 14. Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not hear him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we? drive it out. He replied, because you have to, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Amen. Thanks Charles. If you keep that uh, passage open in front of you, and let's pray again for God's help to understand it. Father in heaven, we thank you for this particular section of God's word. As we come to it now, we pray that you would teach us, correct us, train us, rebuke us, and ready us for every single good work that you have planned for us. And as we come to the end of this series in living by faith, Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us learn this great lesson of faith this morning. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be surprised to know that when I was uh, growing up, I was a fiercely independent lad. And so maybe for Christmas, I'd get something like a technical Lego set. And I would work away for days, day after day, trying trying to build this thing or put it together before finally admitting defeat. And then my dad would normally sidle in alongside me. He would help me do what I couldn't do and build this thing that I'd been trying to build. But in that same moment, he would teach me an important lesson in life, that of asking for help, that of learning to depend on others. And that really is the flow of the story that is before us this morning. As Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, From that mountaintop moment where we were last week, he descends into the valley and he's greeted by a crowd. And in that crowd, one man stands out who comes before Jesus and pleads with Jesus for mercy on behalf of his son who is desperately ill. You see, the disciples couldn't heal him. Probably like me, they've been struggling away for hours before finally admitting defeat. And so Jesus steps in and does what they cannot do. He brings healing. He brings wholeness to this boy's life. And at the same time, he teaches them an incredibly important lesson in faith. That of going to God and asking him for help. Of learning to depend upon our great God 
for all things. And that's where we're going to land this morning in verse 20 with that great lesson of faith right at the end of our reading. But before we get there, there's a couple of things that we must observe firstly in this passage. And the first one is this. We find a majestic savior in a messy world. Have a look again down at verse 14 through to 16. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Remember where we were last night, last week, on the mountaintop with Jesus. Jesus took up Peter, James and John, and he was transfigured before them. He gave them a glimpse of his glory. And so from that mountaintop moment, we now descend into the valley and to the darkness of this moment where we meet a desperate father and a desperately ill son. You see, just minutes before, we've been captivated by the majesty of Jesus. And now moments later, we are confronted by the mess of this world as we read of the state of this poor boy in verse 15. It's a contrast that's captured brilliantly in this picture here, this painting by Raphael. You can see in the top half of that picture, this is where we were last week. It's the transfiguration with Jesus revealed in all his glory, with Moses on one side, Elijah on the other, and the disciples prostrate before him, overwhelmed in the majesty of Jesus. That's Matthew 17, verse 1 to 13. And then the bottom half of the picture. So we've descended into the darkness of the valley. And we've got this crowd that is gathering. And we've got a father holding on to his son who is desperately ill. With a confused look on the disciples' faces. Unable to do anything. That's where we are this morning. In Matthew 17 verses 14 to 20. And as you look at that picture and the two halves of it. Isn't that an incredibly clear snapshot of life? As we saw last week, one of mountaintop moments and valley experiences. Where joy and pain, where delight and despair are woven so finely together. But even though our circumstances in life can change so quickly, one minute everything is well with the Lord and we're walking wonderfully through life. We're on the mountaintop and then the next moment we're in the valley and it feels like our life has fallen apart. Even though our circumstances can change so quickly, here's the glorious thing. Jesus doesn't. He's constant. He was majestic on the mountaintop and he is majestic in the valley. You see, Jesus' majesty that was unveiled before us at the transfiguration doesn't stop him coming down the mountain and engaging in the mess and the miseries and the troubles of everyday life. In fact, it's one of the things that makes Jesus so glorious that indeed he does descend to engage. He doesn't stand apart from this world in all his glory. But part of his glory is displayed in his willingness to engage in the mess and the miseries of this world. And so we meet a majestic saviour in a messy world. Just picture for a moment 
um, dinner time. Maybe you're eating dinner one evening with your family or with friends, and it's and it's a normal evening. And there's a knock at the door, and you think, oh, that's, that's unusual. Don't normally get a knock at this time. And someone goes to the door, and they they open the door, and to your amazement, the Queen of England is stood there, and she's got a bucket in one hand, and she's got a bog brush in the other. And she's got a pair of marigolds on her hands. And in quite a lovely voice, she says to you, would you mind ever so much if I went upstairs and cleaned your toilet for you? And before having a chance to answer, the queen has wandered up the stairs and she's kneeling by your toilet and she is cleaning the muck out from under the rim with her own finger. It's an incomprehensible scene, isn't it? You can never imagine it happening yet what the lord jesus did when he descended into this world was far more extravagant you see the queen is just the current ruler of the commonwealth here we have the glorious king of all creation and he came knocking on the door of this world not carrying a bucket and a bog brush but carrying a cross upon his shoulders And it's a cross that he carried all the way to that lonely hillside just outside the city walls in Jerusalem. And he bore it for you. He bore the penalty of sin in our place. You see, Jesus descended from the mountaintop of heaven into the valley of this world and he did it to restore and to redeem the people of this world he is a majestic savior who came to engage in the messiness of this world but before we move on to look at the restoration itself in the verses that follow there's an important lesson that we learn from the father in this story in verse 14 have a look down again When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. Do you see the father is both deliberate and dependent? Can you see that? He's deliberate in approaching Jesus. He's deliberate in going to Jesus. And he's dependent upon Jesus alone. To do what nobody else can do, which is to heal his son. And so he kneels before Jesus in this posture of absolute dependence. And he cries out for mercy on behalf of his son. What a wonderful picture that is, isn't it? Of intercessory prayer. Of crying out to God for mercy on behalf of others. And so I wonder, do we do that as a church family? Do we deliberately and dependently approach God and cry out for mercy upon the lives of our children? That God would restore, that God would redeem, that God would make whole our relationship with him that has been broken by sin. You see, their predicament may not seem as serious as this boy's here in verse 14, but you see it is. If they've not yet trusted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, their predicament is just as serious. So do we deliberately and dependently approach 
Jesus Christ and ask him to do what only he can do, which is to liberate, to save, to heal, and to restore, to make whole those whom we love. And of course, this isn't just a father and a son. This applies to the whole church family and in how we interact and relate and, and pray for one another. And so I ask you again, do we regularly, as family, go to the quietness of our own room, shut the door, and go to our knees and earnestly pray for each other as a body of believers that God would redeem and restore and to make whole whether it's body, mind, or soul. A deliberate approach and a dependent posture. Firstly, we meet a majestic saviour in a messy world who alone is able to restore. But secondly, we have a double rebuke from our majestic saviour. Have a look down again at verse 16 through to 18 the father still speaking in verse 16 i brought him to your disciples but they could not heal him you unbelieving and perverse generation jesus replied how long shall i stay with you how long shall i put up with you bring the boy here to me jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment to read in verse 16, you're probably left asking the question that I did when I read this. Why couldn't the disciples do anything? Why were the disciples unable to help this boy? Because you may remember when Jesus sent out his disciples back in Matthew chapter 10 on that first pioneering mission. He sent them out with these words, look, in verse 5 to 8. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely you give. It appears, doesn't it, from the words of Jesus there in Matthew chapter 10, that this particular issue before us in Matthew chapter 17 should be well within the scope and the authority that Jesus had delegated to his disciples. However, they're impotent. They cannot do one thing to help this boy. And so the question remains, why? Why could they not? And for the answer, we have to wait until verse 20, which is where we finish this morning. But before we get to the answer, we see two rebukes from the, from the Lord Jesus. And the first one is there in verse 17. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? It's a rebuke that's maybe been prompted by the lack of faith in the disciples. Maybe it's something in the Father that Jesus saw. We don't know exactly. But the rebuke is actually generalized look to the whole of that generation, just like the one we saw back in chapter 16, verse 4. And it's a rebuke that reveals how painful it was for the Lord Jesus to walk in this world. A godly frustration 
at how slow to understand and believe the people of this world are. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up youth, says Jesus? Bring the boy here to me. And so Jesus' first rebuke is directed towards the general level of unbelief that pervades that generation. But his second rebuke in verse 18 has a very different target altogether. Look at what Jesus goes on to say, or do even. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy. And he was healed at that moment. I imagine at some time you've all been in a classroom that was totally out of control. Normally when a a supply teacher comes in and everything gets a little bit out of hand and paper aeroplanes are flying and rubbers have been sent around and everybody's talking and it's this scene of of chaos, uncontrolled chaos. But what then goes on to happen? Well, the footsteps down the corridor. The headmaster or the headmistress has caught wind of what's going on and she enters the room and with a couple of quiet words, total order is restored. Why? Because authority has stepped into the room and people sit up and pay attention. And you see, that's what we've got here. Authority itself has stepped into the room. God himself steps into a scene of chaos and disorder. And with a few simple words, he brings total order back to this situation. What a wonderful picture it is, isn't it? Of the divine and heavenly authority of Jesus. That majesty that peeps through, do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, overwhelming the disciples, is now visible again. It's glimpsed again just moments later, this time down in the valley, where sickness is healed, where captives are liberated, where brokenness is mended, and where chaos is reordered. And of course, what we have here is just a glimpse, is it not? Of that final reordering of all of creation when the Lord Jesus Christ returns again in glory. Let's not forget, friends, that all power and all authority lies with Jesus. Faith does not allow us to take that power from Jesus. Faith does the opposite. Faith drives us to Jesus, to lean upon Jesus, to depend upon Jesus, to ask Jesus to do what we cannot do, which is to bring wholeness from brokenness and order from chaos. And that brings us finally to the great lesson of faith, which is where Jesus finishes in verse 19 and 20. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Same question we were asking back in verse 16, but now the disciples themselves asked that question and the answer comes in verse 20. He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move Nothing will be impossible for you. When Jesus challenges their lack of faith here, it's more a challenge 
to the quality of their faith rather than the quantity of it. The phrase there that you see, these three little words, so little faith, in the Greek is actually one word, which is probably better translated such such poor faith or limited faith or inadequate faith. You see, it's not so much the size of the faith that is in view here, but where your faith is placed, in whom your faith is placed. And that makes a lot more sense of the mustard seed analogy that then follows. Look in verse 20. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. You see, a mustard seed is actually smaller than a grain of sand. But if you've got faith, even a teeny, tiny little bit of faith like that, if it's in the right place, if your faith is in Christ, it is able to do immeasurably great things. A few years ago, uh, when myself and Han lived in Oxford, we used to visit a place called Port Meadow quite regularly. Some of you may know it. And it's sort of low-lying land and it floods quite a lot in winter. And when it gets cold enough, it freezes over and it leaves this huge expanse of ice. And as you'd go and walk around it, if you stayed there long enough, you'd, you'd recognize there was really two different groups of people. There's one group of people that would very tentatively inch out onto the ice. And there's another group of people that would charge out and go sliding across this great expanse of ice. And you could say that that first group is like a group with little faith. That very tentatively, they inch out onto the ice. And you could say the other group is like a group with big faith and they just go charging on with total confidence. But you see, it's not the size of the faith that keeps you up, is it? What keeps you up? The strength of the ice. It's not the size of your faith that saves you. It is the strength of your great saviour, the Lord Jesus, upon whom we trust. He is the one that is able to save and to sustain. And so you see, if your faith is as small as a mustard seed or as big as a bus, either is enough. Because faith's not our saviour, right? Jesus is our saviour. Faith is simply the hand that takes hold of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save and mighty to sustain us through all of life. And so we read in verse 20 again, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. You see, moving mountains is... A proverbial expression for overcoming seemingly immovable obstacles. And that's what it must have felt like, right, for the disciples? Faced with this demon-possessed boy and they could do nothing to help a desperately ill child, a seemingly insurmountable problem. So what should the disciples have done? Well, they should have brought him to the feet of Jesus. And not trusted in themselves and their own power and their own ability, but trusted in the power and the might of their saviour, Jesus Christ. 
As we read at the end of uh, Mark chapter 9, this is the same account in Mark's gospel, so we read this. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. You see, it's not that there's some sort of magical formula to prayer. It's not that we add in the name of Jesus on the end of our prayer and suddenly everything happens. The point is that prayer is the greatest expression of our total dependence upon God. And that's what the disciples were failing to do. They thought the power lay with them instead of trusting it to Jesus and taking this situation to Jesus, this particular mountain, if you like, that was before them. You see, faith is trusting the impossible difficulties of our lives to Jesus. It's not about having all the answers. It's not about living a problem-free life, anything but. It is taking those problems to Jesus, kneeling at his feet, and letting him do what he sees best. And you know what? That's probably the most helpful thing that I can say to you this morning. Bring to Jesus the problems that you cannot solve. Because in Jesus, we have a God who daily delights in doing the impossible. So whatever your problems or struggles or concerns or issues right now, however small or big they may feel, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, whatever these concerns, whatever the particular mountains that you are facing in your life, take them to the Lord Jesus this morning. And let him deal with them as he sees best. Because that's what living by faith is. As we come to the end of our series together, living by faith is taking our daily things to the Lord Jesus and letting him carry sway over them. So let me leave you with a question as we finish this series. Will you be deliberate in going to Jesus and daily depending upon him for all things. Will that be the reality of your life? Living by faith, a moment by moment, collapsing our confidence in Christ and taking all things to him in prayer. And that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're, we're going to respond by singing this song together. It's an old chorus that many of you will know. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer.